When I was in the 10th grade, I had Mrs. Betty Brinza for English Lit. It was getting toward the end of the semester, and the final assignment was coming to you. The assignment for that class was to memorize and recite the eulogy of Julius Caesar in front of the class. Now, at that time, I was terrified, beyond terrified, of public speaking. I just could not do it. And so when I heard the assignment, I, I waited until after class one day, and I approached Mrs. Brenza, and I chatted with her, and I let her know that I was not going to be able to do the final assignment. I could not bear the thought of standing in front of my classmates and reciting this eulogy. Mrs. Brenza uh, politely informed me that I did not have the grades up to that point that would afford me the option of foregoing the final assignment. I had to do it. So I agonized over this for days. And then finally, Mrs. Brenza, the wonderful and great lady that she is, she offered me a way out. She said that she would allow me to read the eulogy to the class if I at least agreed to stand in front of the class to do it. And so I thought about it, and I knew that was as good as it was going to get, so I took the deal. I said, okay, I can do that. So the day before, I went home that night, the day before it was my turn to, to uh, recite the eulogy, I went home and I wrote it down on a sheet of paper. The next day I got to class, and I had a good friend who sat right in front of me, and so I took my eulogy and I taped it to my friend's back, and I stood just outside my desk, like barely enough to be standing. In fact, I was probably still kind of leaning on my desk a little bit like this. And I read the eulogy off my friend's back, and I still stuttered and skipped every other line of the eulogy. Uh, now, fortunately, I passed the class uh, because of uh, grace. Thank you, Mrs. Brenza. Um, but I tell you that story this morning for two reasons. One, to make the point that fear is paralyzing. You guys know this, like when you're in the midst of whatever it is that you fear the most, it is paralyzing. Like you can't move, you can't talk, if, you're, if it's my case, you, your thinking, it becomes illogical. Fear is paralyzing. The second reason I tell you that story this morning is to let you know that I have today's sermon taped to this podium right here, and in case I forget what I'm supposed to say, I'm just going to read it to you. We're all dealing with fear. Maybe it's something that's going on in the world around us and there is a lot to be fearful of. We all just survived Thanksgiving. Maybe the fear came from that tough conversation we were going to have to have with a loved one. Maybe the fear was from the loneliness that is going to come this holiday season because we know that a loved one is not going to be there this year. Maybe it's something going on internally. Maybe it's uh, that, that habit or that addiction that just keeps coming up and coming up and we're fearful for what's next. We all deal, deal with fear. Now, fortunately for us, the Bible has a lot to say about fear. Now, I want to tell you from the top this morning, if you're familiar with the topic of fear in the Bible, you know that there are two types of fear that it's spoken of. Uh, we have one, this healthy, reverent type of fear. For an example, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom we read in Proverbs. But the other, we have this unhealthy fear that, that can, uh, can do some damaging things to us. And this is where we're going to camp out this morning, the unhealthy stuff. You're welcome for that. So, this is what we're talking about. And today's passage, we're going to camp out here and then stay here for most of the morning. It's going to be in 2 Timothy 1.7. You can see it on the screen there. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and 
and love and self-control. So we see in this passage right here that God, that fear does not come from God. So we had God who created everything, but fear does not come from Him. So a question maybe we should ask ourselves is, from where does fear come? Fear comes from our brokenness or our sin, in other words. In fact, we can trace fear all the way back to the fall, to, to the original sin, Adam and Eve. We see in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And they, and they of course being Adam and Eve here, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were afraid? Or, excuse me, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Fear entered the world as a direct result of sin. We see Adam and Eve, this original sin here, they disobeyed God, and immediately they were afraid. Now, I know what you may be thinking this morning. Uh, maybe you're wondering how your fear of clowns has anything to do with your own sin. Uh, and that is a valid question. So let's dig a little deeper. I will admit to you this morning that I am not fond of flying. In fact, you may even say that I'm a bit afraid of flying. Now, there was a time when I had to fly much more than I do now. I used to be a college minister, and so I would have to fly places like Peru, China, different places. So these were no short flights. These were 10, 12, 15-hour flights, so a lot of time to contemplate my fear. And eventually, I got tired of it. Uh, because this was the kind of fear, like a week before the trip, you start getting these knots in your stomach, and then like you're not sleeping well the few nights before. And so I, I did not want to be afraid anymore because I was having to fly so often. And so I wanted to get to the bottom of it. What was causing me to be afraid of flying? So on these flights, I started taking some notes about the things that were going on. I started really thinking about that. I even prayed about it, especially on the bumpy flights. And what I came to was this. I had no good reason to be afraid of flying. In fact, what I came up with was a list of reasons that I actually enjoy flying. For an example, I'm an avid people watcher. Got any people watchers in the room? Yeah, see I got the good thing, I can watch all of you today. So I'm an avid people watcher, and there is no better place to watch people than a busy airport, right? Everybody's frantic, they're losing their minds. It is a fantastic place to watch people. So it wasn't the airport that I was afraid of. I enjoy being forced to settle down with a good book because when you have a 15-hour flight, what else are you gonna do when you're too afraid to sleep? I really enjoy a good can of cran apple juice and I only drink that when I fly. So it wasn't even the airplane food that I was afraid of. And I've heard some frightening stories about that too. And so finally, I figured out, well, it must be the turbulence. That's what it is. That's what I'm afraid of. You know, like, you, you just get into a good book, or for those of you who can sleep on a plane, like, and all of a sudden that plane hits turbulence and just wakes you up, that's what I'm afraid of. But then, it dawned on me that I pay good money to spend all day at an amusement park. I love roller coasters. 
And so it just didn't make sense. I'm not even afraid of the turbulence. In fact, I would enjoy it. I didn't get to the bottom of my issue until I moved here to Huntsville a couple of years ago. We have a good friend, Todd, who lives in San Francisco. And we were just getting started here, these first preview services. And Todd flew in from San Francisco to help us with some production stuff. Now, Todd has his pilot license. And one night, he and I were chatting. And he offered me to go flying the next day. So here I am, afraid of flying. But it sounded cool. And so I said, well, sure, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to give it a shot. So the next morning, Todd and I went right up here to the Meridianville Airport, and I remember vividly walking across the tarmac, like, like you see planes coming and going, like you're walking out in front of them, and I climbed into this small, I mean tiny, two-passenger airplane. And so I climb in, I get buckled up, and we start down the runway, it's a little bumpy as you might imagine. Eventually we take off, and before I knew it, we were thousands of feet above Huntsville. Now, your boy here who is afraid of flying, I loved it. I had the time of my life. I loved every minute of it. In fact, like I, was, I had a window right here, and I even had my window propped open, and I was leaning out the window taking photos of all that was down below. In fact, there may be a, there, there's a photo right there. That's uh, downtown Huntsville. Now, I was actually using Tim and Kristen's camera, so it didn't bother me as much. Um, but, but I was leaning out of the airplane window taking photos. And I thought, man, this is great. And here's what I realized that day. I am not afraid of flying. What I am afraid of is not being in control. You see, that day, that's, that's half of my face there and all of Todd's. Um, I was sitting next to Todd on this airplane, and I had on the headset, like I was listening to air traffic control, like I could see all the buttons that, that Todd was pushing in the throttle or whatever you call it on an airplane, like I could see everything that he was doing, and I had a sense that I was in control, and there went my fear of flying right there. This is why it's important to identify our fears. You see, what I thought was a fear of flying ended up being this much greater control issue. You see, I don't fly very often anymore, maybe once a year, and so I can handle that. I, I can get over my fear of flying. However, this control issue that I deal with so often, it is something that I deal with every single day. It is important to identify our fears. These seemingly innocent fears could be the symptom of something much larger that's going on in our lives. Once we identify a fear that we're facing, I would encourage you to name it. Now that sounds a little silly, naming your fears, but here's why I say that. There are two good reasons. One, it allows us to know what we're up against. You've probably heard the proverb, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. The battle becomes easier when you know the enemy. We're better equipped to overcome our fears when we actually know what our fears are. It allows us to know what we're up against. The second reason I tell you that is it allows for more precise prayers. 
You see, I used to pray about my fear of flying, not knowing that something much bigger was going on here. And had I realized all those years ago that I was having control issues, then I would have spent much more than 30 turbulent seconds at a time praying about this fear. Mark Batterson, he's a, uh, an author and a, and a pastor, he says this, quote, God does not answer vague prayers. The more specific your prayers are, the more glory God receives. Identifying and naming your fears allows for more precise prayers. It really gets to the heart of the issue. So once we identify fears, once we name them, it's also important to realize the impact that they're having on us. How do we know if, if it's just a, a small fear or if it's something much larger? How do we know... We can figure that out by determining the impact that fear is having on us. This fear of flying, is it a sin to be afraid of flying or afraid of public speaking? I don't think so. Many of us have those fears or similar fears. But here's the problem. When a particular fear takes root in my life, and I began making fear-based decisions leading to a lifestyle of fear, so what does that mean? What is, it, what is a fear-based decision and, and lifestyle fear? What does all that mean? Well, here's what it means for me. Say Tim were to ask me to preach one Sunday, which he has. Say Tim asked me to preach, and it's, it's something that uh, the church can benefit from. Hopefully, I'll let you be the judge of that. But it's, uh, but it's something. I have an opportunity to do good. I, I, I can preach God's word, I, you know, all these things. But however, these insecurities start coming up. And I remember... You can't do that because you're afraid of public speaking. And so I tell Tim, you know what, Tim, I'm going to have to pass this time. I can't do it because remember, I'm afraid of public speaking. That is what a fear-based decision looks like for me. And eventually what happens is these fear-based decisions lead to a lifestyle of fear. And that is antithetical to the gospel. A life of fear is not the life we were meant to live. So identifying our fears, determining their impact, that's important. But that's not the end of the story. And fortunately for us this morning, our scripture does not end there either. So we see from the passage, and we'll, we'll go back to, uh, to the Second Timothy passage. We see what God does not give us. God does not give us a spirit of fear. But here's what God does give us. It says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, isn't it interesting that when fears take over, that these are the first things to go? Take for an example, if you're afraid of flying, and you get in the flight, and things are going smooth, and all of a sudden that plane hits turbulence, the first thing you're going to do is scream and immediately grab the person next to you. Now, that person may be your spouse or a complete stranger, but in that moment, it does not matter to you because self-control has gone out the window. We have lost all self-control when fear takes over. In reverse, however, we see that these things, power, love, and self-control, they can drive fear away. 1 John 4.18 tells us, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So, how do we get there? 
How do we get to a place where we can overcome these fears? We've identified it, we've named it, the impact, all those things, but how can we actually overcome that fear? Well, to answer that question, let's first talk about heroes. Now, I'm going to get a little bit of help from you guys this morning. I, like most kids, had a hero growing up. So when I count to three here in just a moment, I want you guys to yell out who you thought my hero was. Everybody got it? All right. One, two, three. All right. I heard a bunch of man. I think spider, super, bat. Um, you see, actually, I was not into superheroes as a kid. It just really wasn't my thing. Like, I just never really got it. But I did have a hero when I was a kid. And his name was Hulk Hogan. I loved Hulk Hogan as a kid. You see, I remember in first grade, I had a Hulk Hogan lunchbox. And it was the old school, like the, the tin lunchboxes that had the little uh, clips on the front. And then it had the, the um, like mine, it had the, the red clips, and then a red handle. It was yellow tin. Had a great picture of Hulk Hogan, uh, Hulk Hogan flexing his muscles like this. And across the top, it had Hulkamania. I loved Hulk Hogan as a kid. So although I wasn't in to the superheroes, I still know how the story goes. You have a problem, you have a hero, the hero solves the problem. That's it. That's all there is. It doesn't matter if it's a movie, if it's a comic, any storyline involving a superhero, you have a problem, you have the hero, the hero solves the problem. That's all there is to it. Now, I'm probably going to get some flack from some of you guys who are superhero fans, but that's really all there is. Now, I watch the news every morning, and there is no shortage of problems, right? And oftentimes, as I'm watching the news and the stories, they're getting worse and worse and worse. I think, man, where is our hero? Who is going to save us from these problems that we're facing? This idea of, of looking for a hero is something that we see in culture, too. Uh, Bonnie Tyler, for an example, is still holding out for her hero. He's got to be strong. He's got to be fast. He's got to be fresh from the fight. Enrique Iglesias wants to be your hero. I can be your hero, baby. Everybody. Yeah, that's why Chase Morris needs to worship and not, and not Chase Allen. Everybody, we're all looking for a hero. Now, I know better than to call on Superman when things aren't going well, right? Like, if I see some injustice in the streets, I'm not calling on Captain America to come and right that wrong. But we do create heroes in our minds, don't we? As our problems begin to build, we put more and more faith into public figures and officials. We want them to fix the problem for us. Maybe if there's something going on internally, we turn to, to medication or other forms of suppressants in order to try to drown out the fear that we're facing. But I'll tell you who is often my favorite hero. And it's not Hulk Hogan these days, but it's myself. And I don't think I'm alone on this. I think most, if not all of us, we fall into this trap of believing that we can save ourselves. And this is what it looks like. Uh, rather than seeking a friend's help or, or seeking a gospel-centered community, 
we decide that we can tough it out ourselves. Rather than examining our fears, we mask them and we attempt to deal with the pain alone. Rather than to pray about the things that we're fearful of, the things we're facing, we suppress them and then they appear in ways that we aren't even aware of. Before long, the days turn into weeks, turn into months, turn into years, and we eventually reach a breaking point, realizing that we cannot save ourselves or we die trying. But we have good news this morning. You and I, we don't have to be the hero. In fact, if we look at scripture, we are not even supposed to be the hero. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me a great sense of relief that I'm not even supposed to be the hero. I want you to check this out with me. St. John 16, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples about some things that are to come, his crucifixion and his eventual ascension into heaven, these type of things. And then this is what he says in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, make sure you catch this, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, fear tells us many lies. Fear tells you that you can't be loved. But Jesus has overcome. Fear tells you that you were just meant to be alone. But Jesus has overcome. Fear tells you that the bad news that you're facing this morning, that's just your new reality. But Jesus has overcome. Fear tells us that this is the end of the road for us. There is nothing else. But Jesus has overcome. Here's what that means for us this morning. The fact that Jesus has overcome, that does not mean that we're no longer going to face our fears. If, if simply reading this verse, it does not make our fears go away. We are still going to face fears. But here's what happens. Jesus can overcome in those moments. He can give us the courage to overcome. You see, that's not a promise reading this verse that every plane is going to land safely. It's not a promise that everyone is going to find Mr. or Mrs. Wright. It's not a promise that our children are always going to be safe. But it is a promise that through Jesus, we have the courage to overcome our fears. Because Jesus has overcome the world. So my challenge to you this morning is this. Let's turn from the fear, because the enemy, he's feeding us fear tactics, and they don't have to work. If we can turn from the fear and lean into the power and love and the courage that's offered through Jesus. We can do that this morning by identifying our fears, determining the impact of our fears, and not facing our fears alone. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for all that you have given us. God, we're especially grateful for your son, Jesus, 
who provides us with a courage to overcome fear. I am grateful for, for this church essential where I can find gospel-centered community. And God, we're also grateful for your word and the truth that it speaks to us. My prayer this morning is that of the psalmist in Psalm 112. He says, praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure, they will have no fear. And in the end, they will triumph on their foes. God, I pray that we would lean into the power and love and courage that is offered through Jesus this morning. Amen.